Hello and welcome to Coffee Moon Stations, an Avon Live podcast recorded live on Twitch. First of all, I'm Artemis Alboza, filling in for Matteroff, who is away this week. Joining me on screen, we have Dirk McGurk. Hey, good morning. That's also morning, I guess, but whatever. Yeah, it's morning somewhere. Also with us on comms, we have Harvey Skywalker. Comrades, hello. And I don't know how to pronounce your name, Bardcast? Bardcast, I see. Hello, everyone. And Apple Pear. Good evening. Okay, well, we are starting a little bit late because we were just sitting there watching the most recent match of the Alliance Tournament between Goonsborn Federation and somebody else who we won't tell you because that would spoil things. So let's talk about it, guys. The Alliance Tournament is happening this weekend, kickoff weekend. We saw the first of the matches yesterday, and it's interesting to note that there are significant rule changes between this year and previous years. So the biggest thing is that there's a new limitation on how many of a certain type of ship you can bring per match. So in previous years, you've been able to bring up to three of a particular type. So you could bring three MOAs. Then last year, and I think the year before as well, it was limited to two. So you could bring only two MOAs, and then you'd have to bring other types of ships. This year, it's been limited to only one, which is significant because it significantly increases the number of types of ships that you have to bring. So previously, you could theoretically build an entire team of 10 people, but only bring five different types of ships. This year, you must bring 10 different ships. And this is compounding with the fact that there's also the new rule, which means you can ban three ships. We're seeing some crazy things come out, predictions coming into the Alliance tournament. People were expecting huge meta shakeups. They were expecting that any advantage that the established teams had as a result of knowledge of the meta, experience in the tournament, apart from like piloting skill type things, any knowledge of the meta, knowledge of theory crafting would just go out the window. It's sort of like a blank slate, if you will. So guys, have you been watching the matches? What's your opinion on this year? Uh, well, here, I, I will say this, that that I don't think that it was going to somehow, uh, you know, notch down those experienced teams that are already good with, you know, theory crafting, right? Um, those are the types of teams that are able to take advantage of situations like that better than, you know, sort of your... Uh, I'll call it lesser teams in that regard. Uh, I only have seen one match. I'm not the most excited person for Alliance tournament in general. It's not my type of gameplay. And I just saw my own Alliance win in his first match and was pretty amazing. And for the rest, I didn't see really anything. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Oops, sorry. How are you guys? I was going to say I like I like the, uh, the the Ved Max and the, you know the Triglavian ships making a. Making a, a strong appearance, I think. Seem pretty. Uh, they seem pretty decisive in this this new tournament meta. Yeah, we also have abyssal modules, which I believe can only be on flagships. I don't know if anyone's put any into play yet, but we have it's seen, another change again. Yeah, we have seen a few abyssal modules on flagships. We saw actually a surprising number of flagships early on in the tournament, which I think is. Um, an interesting turn of play compared to previous years. So previously it was rather rare to see flagships on early, but now we're seeing quite a few, even on the first day. Yeah, I, I haven't checked, but when you view um, you know various teams' flagships, are you are you able to look and see what 
what the sort of stats on their abyssal modules are. I'd love to see if there's, you know, a, a maxed out Toby, you know, with a with a maximum roll from the, um, you know, the uh, mutators. I'd love to see who's who's rocking the best Tobias modification, you know, web or something. Yeah, I don't think you can see that. Uh, Sadly, no. Not until they explode. But maybe not until they explode. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the other thing I do want to say about the tournament is obviously a uh, hell of a good job so far uh, from from Plus Ten Gaming, uh, the EVNT guys in uh, in hosting. Uh, once again, it is a really well produced uh, uh, tournament for them so far. Yep, that is an interesting point to make. So Plus Ten Gaming has taken over the broadcast of this alliance tournament entirely from ccp so ccp is sort of helping with the background making sure that they have access to tournament tools things like that but as far as broadcast is concerned it's all being handled by plus 10 gaming the dudes who are known for event they're running the entire production out of nottingham right now and from what i saw last year uh, that's not a bad thing because they did it pretty well and when i saw the, the ccp things the last two weeks i was like hmm they if even think could have done the whole thing, that would more be much better. So uh, that's the only thing I really remember from last year. So I'm glad they are doing that. I mean, I do kind of miss like having CCP Fozzie, CCP Antiquarian there on the broadcast. I quite enjoyed the flavor that they brought to it. I kind of wish we'd been able to fly out some CCP devs to join in on the broadcast and commentate or do some analysis. So that's that's my only somewhat gripe with this. But other I than am- that. I am pretty sure that there are, and I'm going to forget all of the names right now, uh, there are going to be CCP devs there. I don't think it's this weekend. Uh, I think it will be in, in later weekends, maybe more of the final two, because this is going over four weekends, uh, if I'm correct. Uh, I think they will be there possibly for the, the last two. Um, Fozzie was not on the list. Antiquarian was. Um, I, I'd have to go dig that up. It, it's in the mega blog that I will find. So for the for this podcast in particular, we're going to be careful not to spoil things because as the matches have just started this weekend, in fact, the majority of them, we've had Saturday's matches and very few today. So we're not going to be spoiling any results, but we can let you know a few matches which are particularly interesting and in that even if you're not a hardcore Alliance Tournament fan, we'd recommend you going to watch. So does anybody have anything that jumps out at you that you'd recommend our viewers watch if they haven't? seen the alliance turn a bit before or maybe aren't big into it i think one of the matches that what i heard from yesterday was one of the surprising and closest was the match between uh tsf and lumpy it was what i hear was one of the best matches to watch that was a good one and templus KSF. they i'm not going to spoil it but that's a good match to watch I particularly enjoyed, mostly for the drama factor, the match between Test Alliance, Please Ignore, and Triumvirate. We're having a surprisingly large number of these matches because, like, most of Nullsec is at war right now. So you're having a lot of matches between one side of this war and the other side, and so there's quite a bit of drama there. So I'd, I'd highly recommend, of course, bearing in mind this has absolutely no effect or impact on the war itself. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. I that think far? I think it has an effect. I think it... The, the 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 troops care you know it's like it's like sending out the champions i i heard that uh, a rumor that goon sent out their their chief champion as well and the matani was on the field right oh spoilers i think so i heard a rumor oh yeah and it's all over reddit 
Okay, so we've had some interesting matches. Uh, I agree, the Goonswarm Federation match was, I think, the closest one that I saw. Now, it's worth noting, the event he broadcast, the Plus 10 Gaming broadcast, which is happening on the CCP Twitch channel, that is only the matches in the main system. Within the Mega Blog, there's a link. It separates which matches are happening in one system and which matches are happening in the secondary system. And the ones happening in the main system are the ones broadcast on twitch.tv slash CCP. However, Apothne is doing something amazing, and he is solo casting the secondary system matches on the Plus 10 Gaming Twitch channel. So that's twitch.tv forward slash plus, and then the number 10, and then gaming. So if you don't want to miss any of the matches at all, I'd highly recommend you check out both channels. They're going simultaneously, so you can do like a multi-Twitch, you can have it up in multiple tabs, or just go back and watch the VODs. But it's worth noting that all of those are there. And also yesterday, if you're looking for kill mails, the secondary matches in JBTAC 007, they were holding them in some new system at 4C something, I forget. But if you're looking for the lost mails and things because you're looking for intel, you want to see some crazy lost mails, like if a flagship died, for instance, then make sure you're looking for the right system in Job Space. The two systems are PE1TAC-R1 and JBTAC007 using JBTAC007 today because they were not yesterday. I believe they should be. It has got it on their mega blog. It was there in the mega blog, yes, but they were not actually using that system. I believe they were having some technical difficulties with the tournament tool. Okay. In any case, it'll be interesting to see. Let's rotate back a bit to our discussion on flagships. So we've got some new rules, and included in those rules were new restrictions on what modules can be pimped out on flagships. In particular, there were neutralizers, which could not be pimped out. So that has sort of changed the meta as far as flagship choice is concerned. We're seeing a lot more Lashaks, for instance, as opposed to Balgorns. So as somebody brought up, you can now use Abyssal modules. And we have seen some Abyssal rolled modules, which have died. What are our thoughts on this? Who, who's, actually flown, uh, who's actually flown their flagship so far that has died with, with Abyssal modules? Uh, to avoid spoiling things, I don't want to uh, say who has died. I know Phage of Terror has flown their flagship. Um, who are the other teams? There is at least two more. I should have written this down. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was not able to uh, watch most of yesterday's matches. So. Yeah, the, there have been a few that have flown, but just while you guys are looking at it, it's, I guess it's also important to note that a lot of teams also entered with no flagships. That is a very good point. And also notice that a number of teams have not been getting their full three bands in or have only been or have been repeating bands. And so it's it's interesting to see what will come out after the tournament happens as to why that has occurred. I mean, not getting your flagship in, that is purely just whoever was in charge of the team didn't submit it in time. So that's their bad. But as far as the bands are concerned, the way that you do bands for the Alliance tournament is quite intimidating. The menus you have to sort through, especially under time constraints. Wouldn't be surprised if we have if we hear some interesting stories about messed up banning phases after this tournament ends. I mean, every year you get teams that don't submit flagships, you know, and it, it may just be a case of, you know, they just weren't thinking about that, right? I mean, you know, they may be newer to the tournament, or maybe they just sit there and go, it's not like we're putting up some crazy-ass flagship anyways, so, you know, they, they don't even bother. Yeah, I mean, that's true. The The benefit to the flagship, however, even if you don't plan on pimping it out, like putting on faction, dead space, officer, or abyssal modules, is that it avoids bans. If your opposing team were to ban the Lashak, 
but your flagship is Lashok, then you can bring it. And so that's worth having a flagship, even if you just think, okay, this is a ship, which is probably going to be utilized quite a bit in many of my comps. For instance, I heard a good argument for the Praxis, which is the Society of Conscious Thought battleship, which was recently released as a gift for Omega accounts at the 15th anniversary, if I recall correctly. It's got a fantastic slot layout. I think it's 666 or 777. I forget exactly. But it's extremely versatile. It has a completely uniform resist profile and bonuses to every single weapon system. So it could theoretically fit into just about any comp that you want to fly. And if you have that as your flagship, even if you don't pimp it, I have a battleship that can't be banned and can be used just about anywhere. So I think it's most certainly a mistake to not get a flagship but in any case we're getting too far into the weeds here we've got plenty of other things that have happened any final thoughts yeah, well, well just real quick uh, are the society of conscious thought ships are those the are those the ones with the point reductions this year yes society okay. of conscious thought have so the noses the practices exactly it was the triglavian ones or is it both no triglavians allowed but uh, yeah. and and for kind of what they can do with only having a single turret, right? And then you've got all those utility highs and things like that. They, you know, they are definitely making an appearance out there. Um, and for the, you know, for the point value, you know, I, I guess apparently they're not bad, right? Um, okay. But, but this year, the Society of Conscious Thought ships are the ones that that are coming at that reduced point cost. Yeah, it's interesting. So the Society of Conscious Thought and the Trigladians have some sort of connection within the lore. And the Society of Conscious Thought is sponsoring the tournament, but the Triglavian ships are the prize ships for the tournament. So the Vedmak and the Damovic, the cruiser and frigate for Triglavians, there's a super fantastically overpowered version, which will be the prize ship for this tournament. And also the Triglavian ships, which are veritably pirate ships, right? They're pirate factions, so they have significantly better stats than other ship lines. They only cost the same point value as T1 ships. So the Vedmac costs the same as a Thorax, even though it's significantly better. All right, so pivoting a little bit over to the war, we've talked about how there's a lot of matchups going on between people on one side of this war or one side of the other one. We're talking, of course, about the war between Imperial Legacy and on the Northern Front, Guardians of the Galaxy, or apparently they've now tried to rebrand to the Dead Coalition, as well as NC Dot, Circle of Two, those type of alliances. And then further down south, we've got Test Alliance, please ignore Legacy Coalition as a whole, fighting off Skill Yourself, Triumvirate, Fraternity, Pandemic Legion, those type of folks. Seeing these matchups happen, and Harvey, you think it has a significant effect on morale? Well, it definitely has an effect, doesn't it, I think, in a good way. I, I think that people, you know, you sort of take a little bit of the uh, tranquility conflicts, you know, you can't... You can't take that off your back, you know. You still got that. You still room for your team. And you know, I thought it was brilliant when uh, uh, Tappy and uh, Dry had had their bout. And that was cool. Sending out their champions. Well, let's let's talk a bit about the morale effects that we've seen as of late. Um, so first of all, of course, there's the UALX thing, which has happened, and we would be remiss to not mention that the vast majority of the trapped super capital force for the. Eastern Alliance's Holy Meteorite Coalition, whatever you'd like to term them, they did escape. Shortly before downtime, I forget exactly what day. Uh, if you're interested, there was some fantastic propaganda that came out about it. There's a video floating around somewhere. I'm sure McLeod could link it in chat for you. It's about sphere.exe, which is an old joke that is um, 
did quite well. I must admit that has got to be the best piece of propaganda I have seen in about a year. I think yeah. I think earlier in that night you had had, and I'm I'm trying to remember exactly when it was. Was it when was it Tuesday night, Wednesday morning of this past week, or was it Wednesday night, Thursday morning? I forget now. Um, I think you had had an earlier breakout of of uh, was it dreadnoughts from Black yeah. Legion? Yeah. Uh, Black Legion brought down a fleet, uh, shot bubbles, and were able to and were able to get uh, a number. I think all of their dreadnoughts out. Maybe maybe lost a couple or something like that. Um, but then later that morning, right before downtime, is when you had the big jailbreak uh, of of PL and and uh, you know other other alliances that were trapped in there. Supers that that pretty much moonwalk. I mean, you know, came in, looked like they smart bombed, uh, smart bombed uh, bubbles, uh, uh, some of which, you know, had not been replaced since since uh, Black Legion had come kind of the night before. Right. Some bubbles had been replaced. Others had not. It was not as robust a, a camp at that point. And uh, and those uh, those Eastern supers yeah, moonwalk. Let's talk yeah, but, about uh, the uh, timing of this camp. What significance does it have that they did? This right before downtime. What does that provide strategically? If it well, goes wrong, you can just downtime tank and don't lose your whole fleet. If yeah, you do it after downtime, then that's that's a big risk. And then you can have a 24-hour fight where you can, uh, especially because you're low on ammo, low on fighters, etc. You're not really in the fighting capability. Uh, you're just going to lose everything uh, in a, a big 24-hour fight. So that's why they did it before uh, downtime. Yeah, it just provide like a it, it provides a safety net basically. You know, we we had there was lots of issues with the survey. I mean, that's been gone over a lot on Reddit. Everyone's fully got into that, but you know, there was no guarantee. We didn't have any guarantees of the status of all our our you know ships on, on login. We didn't know whether they were going to have all their modules online. You know, there was all kinds of uh, uncertainty there, and so you know, having having downtime as that safety net, you just can't. You can't not utilize it, you know. Call it, call it cowardice. Call it what do you like? It's true. It's you know. It's, it's absolutely the smart, the smart strategic move in that situation. Absolutely, you're correct. You know, uh, you know, there are all those questions about whether or not uh, you know ships were fit right or whether they had cap. Uh, you know, where exactly? Maybe they were. You know, maybe they were even located. All those questions about that. But um, you know, I think that doing it before downtime allows that to be able to log in and not have everything get wrecked if it all goes wrong. You can just kind of reset back to downtime. Yeah, and and probably uh, even if something happens and you get stuck or some people get bombed and they cannot jump out, uh, a lot of time they can just downtime tank. Uh, Maybe you lose one or two ships, but it's not like a big issue there. And then you just do a few days later another escape attempt just before downtime. So it's just a smart move to do. But you know, but probably should go back to a little bit of what Harvey was talking about there about the stuff that was being fought out on Reddit and all this kind of stuff, right? There was a legitimate propaganda campaign that was at play here, right? I mean, this this, this played out uh, from basically the day after we talked about it last week. Uh, we talked about all the questions that were being raised. You know, Falcon was here clearing up some of it, right, about ships that had been moved due to petitions. That was kind of the big thing then. But then the other thing is the week went on was along the lines of you know. Are they using downtime shenanigans and tricks or whatever to be able to quietly move their ships out, right? And I think that what we all learned when the breakout happened was was that, yeah, that didn't happen. 
That's not what was going on. <laughs> you were, in fact, camping a thing filled with these things, not an empty nest. Yep. And, of course, the whole reason why they did it that way is to demoralize the people camping. Like, oh, you're not camping anything and there's not anything stuck anymore. Why are you still doing this, etc. Get the morale of the campers down. And after a week camping a thing, people are getting smaller fleets, smaller fleets anyway. And with the morale going there down that they did by all the whole Reddit campaign got even lower. So it made it easier for them to uh, get uh, get out. So, yeah, uh, that that <laughs> totally within the book of how to get yourself unstuck. So, yeah. yeah. A little bit of info wars. Yeah, so. misin- misinformation and things like that. Sowing, sowing, you know, uncertainty. It was all it was all effective, you know, tactics used by both sides. I would say, like, the propaganda sort of... Um, seesaw that we've seen probably since provi you know when when uh, you know uh, a pl ticker couldn't really post on reddit after in the wake of that otherwise you just you know the, the down votes and it swung this way and that way and it's been you know some really good propagandas come out of it lots of uh, you know lots of heated debate and uh, you know we we swung we swung one way you know after provi and then all the suit the pl supers came to the east and suddenly you know there was not a test poster on reddit to be seen and then swung back the other way it's been uh, it's been cool yeah oh yeah hell, hell camps are hard enough to maintain right for for um you know for, for anybody out there mainly because you know Hell camps are 24 hours a day, or they're, you know, they're 23.75 hours a day, okay? And they go on multiple days, and you've got to be able to have players that are willing to keep logging in and being a part of that, right? And and in this case here, there were kind of two possible benefits to maintaining a very sturdy hell camp, and that is, number one, you've got all of these very pricey ships that are locked into this place. At some point, they're going to want them out, and you want to be there if they do log in in order to get the kills, which means that you've got to be able to have the people that are there camping it as well as a you know heavy enough response fleet to be able to do damage, you know, and 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 fight with them if they do log in. The other thing is because there is a war, this is not just a hell, you know, a hell camp in the absence of everything else, right? There is a war going on as well. And what was going on while this PL Supercap kind of umbrella fleet was was locked in. And, and I think it's probably the bigger question. Yes, these things got out, but what happened in the five to six days between when, when that node crash happened and when they finally got out? What advancements were made, if any, in the war? Harvey, you've uh, been on the ground for the side of PL. What were you seeing during the time that all these super camps were hell camped? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, you know, the, 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 the minute that those ships were logged out, you know, in the node crash, from then on, you know, the, the eastern side could not out-escalate, um, you know, the Imperial legacy in, in, the, in the southeast there. You know, we, it was just flick of a switch, can't out-escalate anymore. You know, they can use their supers and titans to, you know, force, force wins, basically, you know, out-escalate out us, you know, meaning that we just have to uh, sort of play it a bit smart. But you know the, the the FCs and the the team on the PL side, you know they had a they, they you know they're not stupid. They know what they're doing. They had a they had a plan for for getting the supers out. They had a timeline. They had you know the, there was no real um, 
it, it basically, you know, the, the sort of outward perception, it seemed, if you read Reddit, it seemed like, you know, the sky had fallen down for, the, for, for my team, you know, but on the inside, it was kind of, um, it was exciting, you know, it's the most exciting stuff to happen to me for ages, you know, my, I had a super and uh, Titan and Apostle trapped there for days, you know, it was, it was spicy, it was, it was cool. But, you know, the guys knew what they were doing and, uh, yeah, executed their little plan, got us out of there. But there, there was, I think there was still progress made on some of the Fortazars in the uh, Featherbolis area. I think we still managed to push a couple of timers on um, and test. Obviously, they came, you know, three, I think, like I said, three days into the, uh, into the camp, they came on the offensive and reinforced pretty much all of the... Um, you know, the meteorite coalition staging Fortazars. Uh, well, let's let's dig into that a little bit. So we know that a few structures have gone down on the legacy side, down in Faith Obolus, which is out of range of, I believe, out of range of the UALX Keepstar. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, fifty-fifty. I mean, the the, the it, it was out of range of um, Tappy's previous staging. So legacy were in DY, um, which was when they deployed forward. You know, into the conflict um, more seriously in in response to the YF, um, the skill yourself putting a Fortzar and staging into Y Tac F on the other side of Imansia. They staged into DY, and then we came down and we started pushing in in areas like Featherbolus and other areas to try and spread the conflict a bit. You know, spread the jump ranges, and you know the UALX Keepstar was uh, Pro God and Villy's reply to that. You know. It's kind of the sort of meta of the conflict is is very much to do with staging um, citadels, where they are, what ranges they have, and almost walking them forward. Just like we talked over the last few months, people talked about having a keep star highway to move a super fleet from one side of an empire to another. You know, that's very it's very relevant to this. You know, you you sort of walk your staging systems forwards and you know dominate an area and then put another citadel down. You know an FOB, you know, a forward operating base, put another one down, and then that pushes your your envelope or your your sphere of, you know, capital influence. And and the, you know, the flashpoints happen where these these opposing spheres of, of jump ranges from, you know, the legacy side super fleet and, you know, the PL skill yourself, uh, try uh, coverage that they have from from their supers. You know, the overlapping areas is where the real conflicts have been flaring up. Four tech GB, that that sort of um, keep star that's been there since FCON, I think, that keep star was situated right in the center between DY on one side and uh, YTAC F on the other. And although those two staging systems, you know, opposing stages, they weren't in range of each other, but in the middle there, that, that keep star in Fortech GB was in a crossover zone, you know, where both people were in range of it, which is why it, you know, flared into a, in, into the, you know, quite quite a few good fights over that and then its eventual destruction okay so let's do our diligence as we transition away from talking about ualx apple pair bargas let's talk about what advantages were gained from the imperial legacy side of things how did you take advantage of the fact that there was no opposing super capital force on the southern front I don't think there was that much advantage taken because a lot of time was spent in camping. I wasn't there really. I haven't seen everything, but what I saw from it. Uh, also, one of the big disadvantages uh, and uh, is that uh, pretty much if you want to kill a keep star 
or a citadel, any citadel, staging citadel, you're between seven to 10 days. It takes you to kill one, depending on how the timers are. And if they timed them correctly, what I think they did, it was pretty much not possible for them to kill them that fast before they bro- broke out. Uh, I think what the biggest thing is, is that uh, their enemies lost their momentum. They had a big momentum at the, to take, they killed the Keepstar in Fortec AB, they killed another Keepstar uh, during that fight, and they killed some other stuff, etc. And they really had the momentum in the war. And pretty much this week that they got stuck, uh, they lost the momentum they, uh, and they couldn't ride on it. And uh, also helped by getting the morale up in tests and uh, all their uh, things by camping them in and taking the win and then etc. I think that's basically the big gain for that. Uh, I don't think there's really a big gain of kill enemy structures or enemy stuff to, to be killed. It's more to hold the enemy down and stop the momentum they have. Well, let's not forget that you, you did online a Keepstar in UALX. Let's not forget that the initial Keepstar that was dropped did die during the battle. But yeah. then while these super capitals were camped, you not only online to Fortizar on top of where they were camped, but you also online to Keepstar, which is a significant advantage. In yes, that's true. Because now we know two things from this fight. We know that the Imperial Legacy super capital force can stand toe-to-toe with the super capital force from the people from the east the holy meteorite coalition if you will we know that that can happen and now we know that Imp- legacy has a forward operating base a keep star fully armed mind you and fit in ualx so an anchoring keep star which is not fit was difficult enough we saw that it gave tether it gave capacitor it gave uh, a safe harbor if you will during the battle but now that it's fit that is a significant roadblock to any advance which the Holy Meteorite Coalition would wish to push up further into legacy space. So I think that is the largest advantage that we've seen here is that now there's this big roadblock in the way where legacy can stage their capitals and you no longer have this question in the air of can legacy even stand up to the super capital force because previously they just didn't take many engagements, super capital v super capital. Now we know they can. And on that note, let's pivot up north. So we saw when Goonswarm anchored the Keepstar in DO6 that they had a massive super capital force, the largest... Uh, six the RCQ. Six, six RCQ, RCQ. Thank you. Let them think it's someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> so when they anchored, we, we saw a massive number of super capitals. Uh, but we've also seen that it's been difficult for Goonswarm, Imperium, their allies to utilize this force as a result of Sino Jammers. However, they have been utilizing it in some other ways. Can we talk about what has the Imperium been doing with their super capitals lately? Uh, we have been killing a few keep stars that are in low sec and uh, that are an annoyance from us for a while. And uh, now we get a chance to kill them. So the Shadow Cartel Keepstar, the first reinforce was done by um, Snuffbox. The second, I was there also. And the final timer, we killed it. Uh, that was yesterday or the day before. And uh, and also the Waffles Keepstar got killed. Uh, so two uh, nice Keepstars gone in low sec. I hope we... I, I have a particular interest in one Keepstar, I hope. It has, an, has the name of the... 
original host of this show that's on vacation now i i hope we go for that one at one point um and uh etc so it's it's a lot of cleaning up um what we also do and um is when we get a chance to drop our supers and titans when we kill a jammer we do of course and people can start whining and say yeah the jammers are overpowered but it's just something they do and they are there and we would use the same tactic if we would defend our space so i do not fault them for doing that that's just how you should play the game and we slowly and slowly try to kill their ihops and things and then when we kill an ihop we drop our own citadel and use it at a midpoint to longer war and kill things whenever possible and for the rest we make a lot of timers that forces them to farm big all the time and we sometimes farm we sometimes don't farm but at least tires out their pilots yeah and, I, that, and that that use of the you know the, the sort of the fo fob you know you say you kill an i have put down a structure it means that it doesn't take a week or more for the citadel to anchor you know once you've killed an i have the strat inject index is zero again it resets the strategic index and then you can you can anchor um in, for a 24-hour timer rather than a seven-day timer that could be if it's you know strategic five but you know, the uh, the Sino jammers, I, li- I like the the sort of the evolved meta where we're we're back fighting over Sino jammers. They were so insignificant for such a long time, you know, in this sort of this this long period where um, CCP have been you know changing the the systems of solving that, and they they've come back into into you know importance again, uh, which I like because it, it ties together, you know. Because the Sino Jammer is tied to the iHub, you need a certain level of strategic uh, index. You gain that from the iHub. So then you, you've tied in, you know, the Fozzy Sov and the skirmishing that that um, happens over that into the larger, more significant sort of uh, aims of each side, and you know, a, attempts to kill each other's stagings and forward stagings and things like that. You know, it all ties together a little bit better, which I like. So, um, and I know they're the they're in line, aren't they, for the next sort of Citadel? Um, That is a fantastic point that I wanted to bring up. So Citadel, or pardon me, Sino Jammers are being transferred from a pause module because pauses are going away into a a form of Citadel. We don't know the exact details yet, but they are currently being worked out and presumably in close work with the CSM. And so uh, something which I have heard from people who probably don't want me saying who they are is that there is concern of the composition of the CSM right now being majority Imperium aligned and the fact that the CSM is going to have heavy weight in determining the mechanics and the operation of the new changes to Sinojammers, particularly because this war is happening and Sinojammers are a massive thorn in the side of the Imperium. Yeah, but they're also a big defense for us. Like, if at any point... Delve would be under attack. We would put all of Delve under Sino Jammers ourselves. So uh, I wouldn't expect our people on the on the CSM just misuse their place to uh, go for that. They, they go for the gameplay. I I, I hope only at least one thing that that's going to happen with Sino Jammers. Um, one thing you can now do is ink up the module. So you can put a fleet on it and you can ink up the module that gives you great gameplay from people uh, trying to defend the Sinon module and trying to kill it like we want to do, or at least ink up it. I hope that gameplay stays with the Citadel mechanics because a lot of the time the Citadel mechanics are that you cannot 
put modules or things off on a citadel. Like you can't kill all the warp scrams on a tower and then it cannot scram you anymore, but you cannot do that on a citadel. And I hope they are going to make the mechanic of the Sino Jammer that way, that uh, you still have that gameplay because uh, seeing what we're doing now, that gives a lot of great fights at the moment, and a lot of strategic thinking, how to pick this up, how are we getting the Sino Jammer down, etc. And if that, if we can keep that, that would make, uh, I think that's that would be a big advantage. Yeah, I think I mean, the important thing to note about that mechanic as it exists now is that at any point in time, you can go in and encap that Sino Jammer and instantly bring in your forces. With Citadel mechanics, I believe it was mentioned that the Sino Jammer on the Citadel is likely to be a service module. And the Citadel mechanics means that if something is reinforced to its hall timer, in other words, you reinf- kill the shields, kill the armor, it goes into hall, the service modules go offline. And so that would provide this mechanic where you can turn off the Sino Jammer by shooting the structure. However, there is a delay there. And not only is there a delay, there's also the opportunity to time zone tank. So the two things could happen. One, you could time zone tank your Sino Jammer structures. Or two, you could know for certain that if a hostile entity reinforces your Keepstar, for example, they cannot drop super capitals because they haven't already reinforced your Sino Jammer structure and couldn't possibly push it through Armor Timer to turn off the service module. So it'll be interesting if CCP sticks with the service module mechanic or if they bring something new to the table to Citadels we haven't seen yet to keep this instantaneous being able to nuke it with some bombers then Sino in gameplay. Um, to what... This is just based off of the July update they did. But to what we saw there, it's going to be like a second smaller, like a small version of existing structures that's going to be dedicated and can sit on grids to existing citadels, which well, I don't okay. know how that's going to play out. But. Okay, so is, yeah, so it is going to be a, a separate structure in and of itself. Okay, it is, uh, and, I, and they came out with some different sizes. I'm not sure which one it's going to be, right? Um, but that, along with the jump bridge, along with oh yeah, the Sino Jammer and the Sino Beacon kind of stuff, right? These are these are all going to be their own things that will be able to sit apparently within the range of long range guns from a citadel, okay, or from another structure. Whereas now, what is it? You can't have anything within a thousand kilometers of a, you know, of one. These, I guess, will be able to be anchored closer than that, okay, but not snuggled right up next to either. I, I hope at least one thing that they make it two timers uh, if they are fueled, like uh, not a three timer thing now. So if you kill it, uh, ref it, then it goes into structure and you can kill it after that. Yeah. And that if you I mean, wrap it, it was, then um, at least it, the, the service goes down. Uh, and then you have pretty much the same mechanic that you would have now with the bosses. And you can just encap the Sino Jam. Because otherwise, uh, it makes the Sino Jammer too overpowered and makes it too safe, in my opinion. I don't know how you think about that. Well, I, I'm confident. You know, I think it doesn't matter. You know what what team the the CSM guys are on. You know, they're all everyone in the war. Both sides are fighting in a very similar way. Like more so, I think than than wars that I can think of. You know, we're both maybe far as back as like the Halloween War would be, where both sides are fighting in a similar way. You know, nearing nearing its end there. You know, I think that um, you know they'll all be 
going for the same things, things that you're talking about there, Apple Pay, you know, that keeping in that conflict, it just be as simple as it not having a shield timer, you know, and you just go straight into armor, which is the thing that turns off the service module. It seems pretty simple, but I just, you know, I, I'm pretty confident that they can, uh, they can help CCP think about all as many eventualities, you know, as as possible, you know, of how it might go that they can, rather than uh, you know, mess it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure CCP has got you know, literally has their own vision for what they want these things to 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 be like, and and hopefully the CSM is there to help you know round off some sharp averages if you know, if CCP goes there. Look. Really, it's just a matter of create a structure that replaces these things, right? I mean, that right there is the baseline of replace what already exists uh, before you get off onto, you know, creating something that is, is you know, markedly different in some way. And just because, you know, there are a number of Imperium members on the CSM, I don't think that's the reason to think, oh, they'll try and shift CCP's vision towards how these are going to work simply because of the here and now. I mean, that doesn't play out well for anybody in the long run. And, you know, I really do think that the people who do get on the CSM are people who care about the long run more than just a short-term kind of temporary in-my-favor-at-the-moment type game. On top yeah, of, definitely. Sorry, on top of that, CCP aren't stupid. They're not deaf. They know that there's a 50% goon CSM. They're going to know there's an inherent bias if there is one, and they'll account for it. So taking an overall look at the war as it stands between Imperial Legacy and the rest of the major null blocks, it seems to have stalled on both fronts. In the northern front, you're seeing a lack of advance from the Imperium, despite the fact that they have a numbers and a super capital advantage as a result of clever mechanics, or pardon me, clever usage of Sinojammer mechanics and Entosis warfare. On the southern front, you're seeing that things were stalled as a result of the Holy Meteorite Coalition's super capitals being trapped. Recently, they have escaped. We'll see if they're able to defend hall timers, armor timers, things like that of staging citadels, which were reinforced when they were captured. We'll also have to keep an eye on the SOV warfare as that occurs. We have seen a few 180M, 280M systems flip back and forth. Notably, I believe uh, Warped Intentions secured SOV in a pipe between MNC and was it Catch was the, the pipe that they secured in the northeastern or northwestern side of Tenerifus? Yeah, that sort of runs from a pocket in Catch now all the way through Tenerifus into their pocket in Amencia. So that uh, some sort of strategic advantage, but in any case, things tend to have stalled. And I am personally happy about this because... Well, first of all, I kind of am disappointed because I wanted to see big ships die. I wanted to see this be a massive slugfest, super capitals dying on the daily, Sov being wiped, things like that. But it being a long, drawn-out thing, I think, is beneficial for the rest of EVE. And let me tell you why. If we look at the rest of Sov that is not directly involved in this conflict, particularly looking at small entities over on the eastern side of the map, typically Russian entities, we're seeing that conflicts are building up. We recently saw a massive fight, uh, nearly 200 billion is lost on each side over in cash, not catch, cash, very far eastern side of the map over a Keepstar. Between Red Alliance, I think Snuff got in on the Keepstar timer. I'm not sure if that is any sort of alliance or if it's simply them getting in on some dread kill mails. But we're also seeing stuff go down in Ethereum Reach, 
where there was quite a bit of Sov warfare going on as a result of the station flip timers that is continuing as entities are still trying to fight for control. We're also seeing what I've been doing as of late, which is down in Great Wildlands, hanging out with those guys. Uh, Alexi of Card, person I fly with, used to be CEO of Noir. We've been flying. There's been conflicts bringing up. And I think if the major null block entities are stuck, locked in this battle, the rest of EVE is seeing an opportunity to field their capitals, field their super capitals, and reach out and vie for control of space without the worry that somebody's going to go bat phone a larger entity and just crush them. What are your thoughts? I think the conflict is good, and how long the conflict this is better for the game. Uh, I, I uh, Literally the last year, since we are in the north with the six and squads, and after that, has been one of the most fun times I had in EVE. And it's keep and it keeps giving. It is just so amazing, and people get a chance to use their big toys, having fun with it, etc. And that's I think important on both sides. Both sides get to use them. Both sides get excited about that. And also in the loom of that, because we're not focused on all the small things, because we can. Oh, there's a fight there, and there normally you don't can't get the fights, so you find where other entities are and just poop on their fights. You don't get a chance to. Do, you don't have the time to do that now. So they get a chance to do their own fights, etc. I, I I totally agree. It is a great thing for Eve, and it's great to have during this summer. Have a great war, and I hope it keeps on going for a few months. And we have a lot of fun with it. I mean, yeah, amen. I, I I think to look at it as though you know every battle should be a fight for a keep star, right? You know, is is probably not the way to look at it. Um, the, there. I wouldn't call it a stalemate that's going on up on the northern side. I think that you're back to kind of a more, uh, I don't want to call it old school, it's just normal school, you know, sort of grinding out the front lines. Uh, you know, intosis warfare is a part of this action. I mean, just because you're not seeing, uh, you know, so so what was it? Uh, the, the the CO2 Keepstar came out of, came out of uh, shield reinforcement the other day, right? Uh, the defending fleet was all masked up in there and literally not a ping from the Imperium about, about going to this thing. I mean, not a ping hours earlier, not a ping saying we're not pinging, not anything. It just wasn't happening, right? But there were other fleets out there that were reinforcing iHubs, that were you know reinforcing other things, that were guarding things, reinforcing other things, right? So this other this other stuff is going on out there that's not as glamorous, but it is more of your traditional front line, grind the lines back, reduce those ADMs, and then maybe that leads to something else going on elsewhere, right? You know, so, I mean, you know, maybe it is more stalemate looking from the big, you know, high-level perspective of the only fights that matter are when super caps get dropped one on top of each other, but I think we've got regular war going on. And, and, there, and there are a few Keepstar kills, so uh, not in the north directly, but close to the north. Well, let's, let's talk now. about this sub warfare for a moment, because we're seeing that it's not really going anywhere up in the north. I've been keeping an eye on Dotland. You're seeing sporadic systems being entosed in Fade, and they're not being captured. And so my question is, what's happening there? So we've got a defender's advantage from the mechanics of sovereignty on the side of the north, and we have a significant numbers advantage on the side of the Imperium. Has anyone been on the ground in these sub warfare fights that can talk about what's been happening there that it's leading to them not being successful? So uh, not do, taking the fight. So there's that, and do note we're not going after TCUs. We're going after iHubs. You won't see a direct flip on the straight up dot thing. You'll have to go into each system as you go. 
Yeah, that's um, the thing. It's hard to see the important bits that are changing hands. And, you know, the, the things that people are fighting over is those significant iHubs that sit sit over a staging um, citadel or just a significant citadel for one side. The iHub in that system is, you know, the that's a, an important thing that, that people will fight over with the fuzzy swap. The TCUs don't matter. You know, a lot of the sort of extra random iHubs everywhere won't matter as much, you know, as they have in previous wars. In this war, it's, in my opinion, you know, it's very much about the iHub that, that holds the Sinojammer and, you know, covers a staging system. And those are going to be, at least for the time being, going to be the most important things that are fought over. And that they don't really shine on Dotlan. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't flash, show up with flashing lights and ringing bells. You know, you've got to sort of do a bit of digging and, and to, to work out exactly how things are going. I mean, Apple Pay, you, you guys, you, you killed an iHub recently, I think, that was, got, that was sitting over um, a CO2 fortazar, wasn't it, I think? We killed the ETEX set IOP. That was the most important for us lately. It, uh, and there we yeah. dropped our own Fortiser now. And that's a midpoint we use a lot. It has coverage over a lot of fate. It has coverage of, over a few systems in pure blind that are fighting. Uh, so that we did. And from there, we slowly try to grind. But it's not easy to win soft when there's jammers everywhere. And it's the same tactic that CO2 uses, uh, used against PL when they PL kicked them out of the Nord. And it's a slow grind and it will take time. And But one one thing we must not forget, and uh, I think we're stepping over that, uh, is that we have been pounding on the Nord for a while. But one thing that is happening now is it becomes harder and harder for the average line member in GOTG and uh, alliances around there to make ISK. While we in Delft, we lose a few super and oracles, of course we always do, still have our general ISK production for our line members and for our alliance. So uh, what will happen long, if this takes longer and longer and longer, people get demoralized because they only get the chance to fight. They are not making ISK, so they have a hard time playing the game uh, if they're don't have the ability to pay with real-life money for the game. The subscriptions are going to run out because they don't have the is to renew the subscriptions, etc. So for us, it's not that big of a problem that the war will take long. Because our line members still have the ability to make ISK, pay for the subscriptions, etc. So a long-drawn-out war in the North is for us as Imperium is not a big problem. Right, and um, in the end, we'll win it. I got, I got something to say about that. So you're, I agree with you 100%. And you're, you're touching on something that's, you know, another one of the very important things that I think, you know, when we look, if this conflict does uh, carry on escalating and going as it's going now and lasts long enough and, you know, gains are made one way or the other, I think we'll look back on it and, and realize the sort of industry sitting behind, you know, the two, the two halves of, of Nullsec, you know, polarized into two two sides for all of Nullsec now, basically. You know, and the industry behind each side is going to be significant. And it, it's another thing that's going to be hard to gauge. But, you know, although you, uh, Apple Pair, you guys can nip back to Delve and, and, and uh, make your money, on the, on the southern uh, front, you know, um, Legacy's money-making regions are under pressure from camping. Um, you know, the Chinese are constantly nipping down to Esoteria, which is uh, tests um, like you know back back regions from for for making making ISK. You know, so although you can you you can you can afford to you know grind out slowly forever, 
there's an effect, you know, there's an interesting thing that's happening with the effect that one front has on the other front, you know, so the longer your front, um, your, your front, you know, stays, uh, grindy and, and, and slow going, you know, the, the clock may be ticking on a GOTG member's wallet, but the, that same clock is ticking in the South on a legacy member's wallet, you know, so, or it, it's not quite as clear cut, you know, the, I think, oh yeah. I agree. I agree with you. One thing at Fendis on that is that we have been slowing down the GOTG wallet for a few months now and for test it just started and they have a few regions that are farther away from the front than uh, GOTG has. So they probably have some ability to do some ISK making still, not as much as they are. I totally agree. And uh, that's that's one thing you have to keep in mind indeed. That's why I said yeah. for us as, as Imperium and not Imperium Legacy, I made that quite the extension for that. Uh, that yeah, yeah. that is uh, that 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 that's the case. And indeed, it will be for test the hard way uh, to see how that goes, and uh, that will be where the conflict is there. I find and where we will see what happens. I find there's some interesting parallels between the conflict which is going up north now and what happened in World War B, because what you had is you had basically all of Eve going up against who were the top dogs at the time, which was Goonswarm in the north, the CFC. And so there was a number advantage with the Money Badger Coalition. You also had a super capital advantage with the Money Badger Coalition. And you had them being funded by what were completely legal at the time, ISK casinos. And so you had, I believe I Want ISK was the main one there before it was disbanded as a result of rule changes, bans for RMT, what have you. And so you had complaints coming in from the CFC side that their opponents had more numbers, more super capitals, and unassailable wealth. And now if we look at the North here, what we're seeing is the Imperium is coming in, and they have more numbers, they have more super capitals, and they have unassailable wealth, if you look at the MER. Well, unassailable is two different is two yeah, different terms. Not unassailable. Yeah, it's um, incomparable in scale. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, I will. I will. I will give you that. But that that has to do with just the way they do things inside the game, right? As opposed to whether right, wrong, or indifferent. You know, was the bitch about you know casino money type thing being kind of generally outside of of the thing. So okay, my I mean, question with this line the, uh, of thinking is. We saw the war, World War B in particular, it was drawn out a little bit because of some things that happened there, but it typically happened quicker, I think, than what we're anticipating is going to happen in the war up north. So what has changed, even though we have one side with a numbers advantage, super capital advantage, significant monetary advantage, what has changed that is making this war likely to be more drawn out than World War B was, even though we're talking the same space and the same relative strength of opponents. I wouldn't like to say it, it's the kind of thing you say, oh, I think it's drawn out for this reason. And then in two days time, the North collapses or something. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't want to I'm hang not, my hat on anything. Well, I mean, I, I, people, pro people probably want this as well at this point, right? So there's an incentive to keep it going at least. We like, called it. Good. Sorry. No, you go. <laughs> what I was going to say, we call this a two front war in the grander scale of kind of Eve as a whole, right? That we've got what's going on in the Southeast and we've got what's going on in the Northeast, right? And we're saying that that's all part of the same war. Um, when you look back at, you know, you know, Casino War B or whatever people want to call it, okay? Um, 
that right there was actually a multi-front war across just the north okay meaning that you know meaning it was spread out you had action that was going on up in Tino. you had action that was going on over in the over in the vale area uh you know that pushed then back to tribute and things like that you had action that was going on coming from coming from the fade area as well so you had a number of different sort of sub fronts along that along that larger war that really spread it out at a time when it was kind of one of the first attempts at entosis warfare mass you know kind of mass entosis warfare uh you know sovereignty battles and things like that so so it was kind of a different time in things and i would say that even though we call this a two-front war now in the big sense it is still basically just a single front war on the northern side right it, it, it's not as spread out so therefore the forces of the north are not having to spread out all that much. That's an interesting point. So things to look forward to, if you want to keep an eye on this war, you're going to be looking for I-hubs being destroyed in the north. Uh, subsequently, more than likely, you're going to see citadels being destroyed and Imperium super capitals being deployed in Nullsec. Down south, we're going to be looking to see what happens now that Holy Meteorite has their super capitals out of the camp of UALX, how that's going to impact things. Once again, we're going to be looking for SOV, but with the south, SOV in the south, you have to remember the ADMs are very low. IHUBs have previously been destroyed, so systems are going to be flipping back and forth. So just because one system goes doesn't mean it's not going to be flipped right back the next day. So take any SOV changes down there with a grain of salt. But it's still, you're looking for solve changes, you're looking for Citadel kills. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Anybody have any final thoughts on the big war? <laughs> I, you know, I do, I do just want to make a comment about that Waffles Keepstar in Kanaka, right? Um, that had been a Keepstar that had been around for a while. It was used by, you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that that was pretty open to people of that area there. Uh, I don't want to call it a free port, although it may have been somewhat of a free port, but it had been there for a long I'm saying that there was probably some stuff in there. <laughs> okay. And I don't mean just from, you know, say waffles or anybody like that. You know, I, you know, I don't know. Right. But just kind of like average pilots in that area that, you know, had access to it. Um, you know, you know, so, you know, so there could be a great deal of, uh, of kind of pent up material that was in there, um, you know, that, that ends up in the whole, in the whole asset safety program. Yep. Are there stations, like NPC stations in that system? I believe there is, yeah, which would make it free then, right? So it really kind of wouldn't matter. But We're still, I mean, there are is we still operating on the whole it's free in system thing? That's a fantastic question. I believe that we, there was a minimum, was it 5% set on everything? Yeah, I, I think there might be a minimum, but, yeah, but it's also short, right? It's like one day or, or I don't know, it's a, lot, it's a lot shorter to be able to get it if it's going to a... Uh, Anyways, well, that's something to keep an eye on. If you have been impacted by the Aishi Keepstar or the Kanaka Keepstar, I think Waffles was in Kanaka going down, let us know. Let us know the situation with your assets, how big of a deal that was for you. Because you've got one side saying, hey, look, guys, we killed a Keepstar. You've got the other saying, eh, it wasn't that big of a deal. Nobody used it anyway. So let us know how it's impacted you. In the meantime, we're going to uh, transition over, talk about a few housekeeping things. They're actually super important and super fun if you want to go hang out with some EVE bros. These are EVE meetups. We've got a couple happening really soon. Uh, two that I was asked to highlight was a midweek 1st of August on Wednesday. It's happening. Carneros, the CEO of the Bastion, is running it, often the host of this show. So I'd recommend you check that out. Information for that is going to be on evemeets.net. Also, there's one happening Saturday, August the 4th. And I cannot quite see the details for that. Even it is in the US, 
Yes, it is indeed in the US. There are a couple of them. There's also one in South Wales. Oh, and another in Germany. Wow, it is a busy time for Eve Meets. So if you're in any of those locations, or if you're not in those locations, I'd still recommend go to evemeets.net, check it out, see if there's an Eve Meet near you, go hang out with some space bros. It's a good time. Yeah, and you can see on stream right there, we've got Eve Meet the website up. It's well designed. All the information you could ever need is there. Highly recommended. The only one that I've been to is Eve Vegas. It's a much larger scale. I think a lot of people have been to FanFest as well, but it's not worth sleeping on these smaller organizations because you still meet some cool people there. Actually, there are people who are in your area, so you may have a few more commonalities of conversation with them. Any final thoughts, guys? I think we're under 80 days until, uh, I think it's under 80 days until uh, Eve Vegas. So TikTok, TikTok, Vegas is coming. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode of Talking Stations. I'd like to give a shout out to our Patreons who make this happen, especially our angel level supporters. They really do a lot to make the show run well, up the production quality week after week. But we hope that you guys in particular have enjoyed the show in addition to everyone else. That's it for us. Have a good one.